Back in July, the Bureau of Labor Statistics told us that for the month of June 2022, the unemployment rate in the U.S. had been 3.6%. Now, you might recall just a couple weeks ago, the BULS said that for the month of January 2023, the unemployment rate had gone down even further. It was now 3.4%, a rate that we haven't seen in the U.S. economy since 1969. From that, we can infer, or at least we're supposed to infer, that the U.S. labor market is incredibly tight. And if the U.S. labor market is incredibly tight, it must be inflationary. Because, as the thinking goes, if there are not enough scarce, if there's not enough workers out there, workers are scarce, spare, spare workers are scarce, then companies have to compete for them, which means they have to raise their wages. And as they're raising their wages, that means their costs go up, which means they're also going to pass those costs along to consumers in the form of consumer price increases or what most people incorrectly call inflation. Over the same months, going back to June of 2022, so the seven months up until January 2023, remember January 2023's massive, huge payroll gain, including that one, as well as the six final months of last year, the establishment survey rose by 2.7 million payrolls. That's an annual pace of nearly 4.6 million for an economy that before 2020 was struggling to get to 2 million or maybe 2.5 million a year. So again, we look at the labor market and, and by all mainstream accounts, it is scorching hot. But yet, over those same seven months, according to the same Bureau of Labor Statistics, the CPI went from red hot to something else. It radically changed. In the seven months up until June, including June of 2022, the CPI was rising at an annual rate of 11.6%. In the seven months afterwards, as the unemployment rate fell to a new 50-plus year low, as the establishment survey continued to pile payrolls on top of payrolls, the CPI dropped to an annual rate of just 1.7%. And that's a seven-month period. That's not random fluctuations. There is something going on here. But what's going on here cannot possibly be a tight labor market. There is no correlation with the unemployment rate nor any of the labor statistics. And that's funny because the Federal Reserve, policymakers who've told you all about the tight labor market and their fears of it, absolutely agree with that statement. In their 2020 statement on longer-run goals and monetary policy strategy, the thing that they came up with, or they altered after this exhaustive uh, survey, exhaustive examination of, their, of the economy, of their own methods that began in late 2018 and throughout 2019, after the unemployment rate had steered them wrong the last time, what they now say in their again, in this monetary policy strategy document, the maximum level of employment is a broad-based and inclusive goal that is not directly measurable and changes over time owing largely to non-monetary factors that affect the structure and dynamics of the labor market. Consequently, it would not be appropriate to specify a fixed goal for employment. Rather, 
the committee's policy decisions must be informed by assessments of the shortfalls of employment from its maximum level, recognizing that such assessments are necessarily uncertain and subject to revision. The committee considers a wide range of indicators in making these assessments. Translation, the unemployment rate is not dependable and policymakers are left to just wing it as they go. Their goal, they say, is to wait until the CPI gets down to around 2%, or actually the PCE deflator gets down to around 2%, which would translate to about 3% of the CPI. And at that point, they'll be happy. But what they're saying here, what they're admitting you to here, is that while they talk about a tight labor market, they're not really sure what that means either. So if you and I and the bond market and everybody else is struggling to figure out what the FOMC is doing, the FOMC has no way to correlate what it's supposed to be doing with actual outcomes in the CPI. But if the, if the unemployment rate isn't driving the CPI, then it's fair to ask what really is. And that's what we're going to answer today's, in today's show. But first, I'm Jeff. This is Eurodollar University. Thank you very much for joining me. If you're interested, Eurodollar University offers memberships where we have exclusive video content about money, financial markets, economic, uh, economic history, as well as fundamentals. I also do research subscriptions, a daily briefing where I go over the day's biggest macro news, such as today's retail sales report. Uh, is what, that's a, it's a bundle in partnership with Markets Insider Pro, Stephen Van Meter, Tracy Schuchart. I also do the deep dive analysis where we go into the deep dive details, including yesterday's deep dive analysis, which was on the bond market. Why did it miss the rate hikes, the rate increases, yield increases in 2022? That's all available. Information about all of those things at eurodollar.university. So if the CPI is not driven by the unemployment rate, and the Federal Reserve would agree with that statement because experience has shown, especially recently, there is no correlation with so-called tight labor markets and actual consumer price behavior. In 2018 and 2019, the, uh, the unemployment rate got to nearly as low as it is now. It got to 3.5% at, at certain months, yet the CPI never accelerated. That inflation that the that economists were expecting and policymakers were expecting never happened, which of course triggered this exhaustive review, which then led policymakers to say, we don't really know what's going on in the labor market. We just suspect that whenever it's tight, it shall lead to consumer prices. But what does it mean when it's tight? We don't really know. It doesn't seem to be the unemployment rate. So if there's no correlation there, then what is driving consumer prices? Well, there's a number of factors, but primarily, and we all know this, it's energy, it's gasoline. That's what materially changed around June. Before then, energy prices had been surging, especially after the Russian invasion of Ukraine, which drove energy prices through the roof, gasoline in particular. Then even after oil prices sort of stopped rising and came down a little bit, gasoline prices in the US kept going up right until around June. Ever since then, energy prices have been very different and so has the CPI. As oil goes, so does consumer prices in the U.S. by and large. So if we're wondering when the CPI goes back to two, we need to look and examine the oil market. We need to know something about what's going on in crude oil and why 
even if Jay Powell and the FOMC is going to, are going to be focused exclusively on labor data, we don't need to be that blind. What we see is, number one, we look at the oil price curve, the WTI curve, oh, ever since around early December, it's been in persistent contango. And persistent contango is a unique situation. Well, it's not unique a situation, but it's, it's a particularly important uh, curve shape and situation because of what it reflects. It's, it says that the market is far more concerned about demand than it is supply because given the way supply has behaved over the last several years, ever since 2020, supply has been continuously constrained. And up until recently, that was the driving factor in oil prices. Oil prices were driven higher and higher and higher as demand rebounded from the 2020 lows and supply really didn't. Supply today, especially domestically, is substantially less than it had been before the pandemic. Even now, even with oil prices going to the roof, which you would think small the economics as prices go up, producers should be rushing in to fill the supply. They haven't been doing so. So as supply has been constrained, prices have gone up and inventories have gone way down because we're using more oil than we're producing, less margin for uh, less margin to go into excess and in crude inventories. And as crude inventories have gone down, that has filtered into any number of other factors, including what's going on in gasoline, lack of available crude to be refined, of along with a lack of refinery capacities and some idiosync idiosyncrasies in the gasoline market. You have gasoline prices that do the same thing as oil that they're often driven higher, or they had been driven higher, predicated mostly or entirely at times on those supply factors. But what we've seen, especially this year, in 2023, is that supply factors have been supplanted in the market mind by demand, not, demand, not just demand concern, but actual demand so far. The uh, U.S. Energy Information Administration, which is an agency of bureaucracy within the Department of, of Energy, puts out weekly numbers on the domestic crude market. M domestic crude supply, domestic crude stocks, domestic crude usage, including all of the distillates like gasoline. And what they've shown is that uh, in, the in the latest data that was released just today, Domestic crude stocks rose by a whopping 16.3 million barrels. That's a huge weekly increase, up to 471.4 million barrels, which is the highest overall, regardless of season, going back to the summer of 2021. So crude inventories are rising, as they normally do during this part of the seasonal, uh, seasonal pattern, but they're rising a lot more, as you can see. Now, since the beginning of this year, Crude inventories have risen by a massive 50.8 million barrels. Now, there's two reasons why crude oil, or crude oil inventories could be rising. One could be that producers have finally saw this, finally saw that uh, they need to start producing, that prices make it economical for them to do so, and they've wildly ramped up their production of crude. Of course, we know that didn't happen, because of course it didn't happen. Crude production, while it is for the second week in a row, the highest in several years, 
that really isn't actually saying much because it's just barely higher than what it has been consistently over the last, say, seven months since around August. So in other words, as crude prices started to fall, production of crude actually tailed off and plateaued over those same seven months, meaning that we've been in a constant state of low inventories, relatively low inventories where inventories have been ever since 2014, what we've become used to in terms of inventories. What that then means is that can tango in the crude curve is all about demand. The only way in which crude inventories could have built as far and as fast as they have just this year is because of slack in demand, which then explains why the market curve, in, even into small amount of contango given tight supplies, is a reflection not just of demand that we've already seen fall off, but the likelihood of demand to continue falling in the near term. In fact, as of today, as I just checked before this recording, contango in the WTI curve is now out to June again. It flips in and out between May and June contracts, even though it's only about 40 cents upside down. So it's not huge contango, but the fact that there is any contango at all indicates serious concerns about demand. Demand for oil, demand for gasoline, and when we look at the EIA's statistics on demand or crude supply or usage, what they show is that, yeah, crude demand had been relatively solid up until around the uh, middle part of December, and then it just suddenly fell off a cliff. And it's been low, not as low, not, not record lows, but it has been sub substantially low ever since. It's the same in gasoline too. Gasoline supplier usage has been ridiculously weak ever since around March of last year, which makes sense. As soon as gasoline prices surged to the ridiculous, absurd levels that they reached, Americans said we can't really afford to drive. A lot of companies said we're going to have to cut back on our delivery schedules and things like that. So the amount of gasoline being used in the economy all last year into this year has remained remarkably weak. So gasoline demand, crude demand, those are already weak. Supplies are now going up because the economy has gotten weak. It's not just about uh, consumers driving less for fun or driving less because they just see the, the price of gasoline go up. It's also about businesses. Businesses are using less energy because there's less for them to do, to use energy. Even as energy prices overall have come down remarkably since June, reflected in the CPI, it hasn't sparked renewal in demand. It has done the opposite. The, uh, the opposite has taken place. So the overriding correlation between consumer price indexes, whether it's the CPI or the PCE deflator, and actual economic circumstances have nothing to do with the unemployment rate or the labor market data, which is interesting because everything that we've seen in those, you know, the January payroll report, which was wildly awesome. It was a major, major, major gain. I mean, plus 500,000 as if the labor market is on fire. 
The unemployment rate, which falls to falls to 3.4%, which again, lowest since 1969, or still in that range where most mainstream economists would say we're 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 either really at right at maximum employment or we're well above it, which should be inflationary. But again, it hasn't been. It's been disinflationary for other reasons. We also got retail sales today, which were through the roof. American consumers, American consumers seem to have gone back to the shopping mall or the, actually the, the department stores because general store sales just absolutely exploded in January. So according to these other numbers, which the Federal Reserve may look at in lieu of having any idea of what's driving the CPI, you would expect policymakers to continue raising rates because until they see the CPI get down to the level they want it to, or really the PC deflator to get down to the level they want it to, they're going to look at all these other numbers, regardless of what's actually in the CPI and driving it, and respond to that. Whereas the markets, as well, especially in the energy market, and energy prices and energy statistics tell us the economy is doing something very different from what we see in, say, retail sales in January, the payroll report in January, the unemployment rate in January. There's a lot about January that doesn't make sense consistent with everything else. And that includes the CPI, which has changed dramatically since the middle of last year, even if the labor market, according to these numbers, the Fed watches, seems to have been just as solid as ever. So the Fed is just winging it, which is why it's so hard to pin down exactly when the Fed will stop hiking and at what rate. But at the same time, it is not hard to pin down what the economy is actually doing, which is captured by both the energy market, uh, energy market curve shape and energy market prices, as well as the CPI. If only the Fed would pay attention to the data it says it depends upon. I'm Jeff, this is Eurodollar University. Thank you very much for joining me as always. Huge thank you to Eurodollar University members as well as our research subscribers. And until next time, take care.